Hello and welcome to episode 65 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have a review of the new movie, Joker. This is Matt and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. So this is going to be your, your spoiler alert for Joker. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, I would suggest you, you pause the podcast and, and come back and listen to this after you've seen the movie. So Noah, uh, before we do a deep dive, why don't you uh, lead us off with your, your initial thoughts of the, of the movie? It was a surprisingly terrifying film from my experience, and I really enjoyed that part. Mm-hmm. I was expecting it to be sort of terrifying, but something that's always like you know that that really defined the character in cinema is sort of the horror that surrounds him yeah and i think that kind of gets lost in pop culture and i'm very glad that sort of keeping him as a cinematic icon and as a comics icon keeping the character as something terrifying is a really hard thing to do especially when you're doing a backstory of the character but if it's i mean i guess like you know we discounting something like cesar romero who was just you know that just that was just camp with the Joker, but like something like uh, Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger really brought terrifying personas to the character that when you watch those movies for the first time, you're like, there is a genuine horror about the stuff that they do. And there's a unpredictability to them, even though like, you know, there's a, there's sort of the less is more with both of those characters. You don't know too much about them or their backstories or anything like that. They just are sort of, scary because you can't predict them because you don't know them what mm-hmm. i was most happy about with this film is that i was genuinely terrified of him the whole time and especially closer towards the end when he was becoming the fully formed joker i was just as terrified of him then as to what he was going to do so to do a movie that gives a backstory to a character that does not have does like you know has never needed a backstory has never like, you know, no one has ever nailed down a backstory and still keep him terrifying and elemental is, uh, is, a, is a great line to, to be able to, you know, to, to be able to straddle and I guess to, to tightrope walk. And somehow the artists behind this film walk that line really well. But that's my thoughts. What about you? Yeah, so it certainly was terrifying, but it was almost like uh, it was almost a combination of terrifying and uncomfortable. Yeah, like um, just watching it, like you knew that at any moment, you know, he uh, he could snap, and um, and then some of the situations that he was in, uh, you know, it was just uncomfortable to 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 watch. So you're always sort of you always you know you're sitting there, you're looking at it, you're like, what's going to happen next? And, and whenever he's sort of in those moments where the, uh, the, the nervous laughter comes out yeah, and uh, it's, you know, other people either in the movie or at least from my, my viewing, you know, people in the theater were sort of, um, you know, laughing along with him, just sort of yeah. in the uncomfortableness of it. Yeah. And, and I was just sort of like, oh, I just, I just don't feel good right now. That was my reaction, mine and Rebecca's reaction to seeing the film. The, the, the crowd that we were with were, especially towards the end when it's just really violent and just brutal. And normally that kind of stuff, because, you know, I go to John Wick films and laugh hysterically at all the violence and gore in those films and stuff like that. And there's a sort of like, there's a comedy to those films mm-hmm. that like that's sort of a normal reaction to the violence, that kind of thing. Um, but with this movie, I think you could go either way. Because I don't think everybody laughing at how uncomfortable it is is an, is an, uh, 
inappropriate response. And I don't think being disturbed by it, like I was, like I didn't laugh and Rebecca didn't laugh. We were just sort of sitting there like just like, ugh, you know, and again, that was, but I think the movie again was, you know, I think there was a, I don't think the movie was telling you to feel one way about anything, you know? I think there's like, there's, there's not one reaction to this film, like that's right. I think there's a lot of reactions that are right to this film. Just like I think there will be a lot of interpretations of this film that will be right and not just one interpretation. There are a lot of uh, ambiguity, and there's a lot of ambiguity to this movie that I think is in the subtext and also in the plot itself. Um, and I think going forward, the legacy of this film, uh, you'll have the different reactions that you have watching it, but also the different interpretations as to what it means in within the story itself and then within the larger mythos of the character. Yeah. Um... I just had a I just had a thought like I feel like this movie has a lot in common with uh, a Clockwork Orange, yeah. where it's the 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 violence and you know I saw a Clockwork Orange as like a as as a college student and um, you know I laughed I thought it was hysterical and now when I think back about it I'm just like you know what that I. I looked at that movie you know at that young age totally the wrong way like you know yeah. all these people were were not funny human they're not funny human beings they were not good human beings they were they were they were terrible people um so i, I there's there's a lot to a lot of similarities with with this movie yeah that's a comparison i'm surprised more people haven't made yet because there were a lot of uh when the dark knight came out there was a lot of comparison to a clockwork orange especially about sort of the uh i guess about sort of morality because mm-hmm. dark knight's all about morality and all that sure. kind of stuff um and bringing a person and changing a person's uh, moral identity. So, but uh, this movie in, in tone and in style is very similar to Clockwork Orange. Um, and there are other comparisons to this film too. I mean, there's a, uh, so like there's, there are interpretations also like the, of this movie that I think you could also compare it to like Taxi Driver. Yeah. So there's like the right and wrong way of watching Taxi Driver as well. Um, like where, I mean, there are, and again, I said that there are no, probably no right or wrong ways of watching this film. There are wrong ways. The Joker is not the hero, that kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? You know, he's not, he's not a, he's not a hero that should be looked up to or imitated at all. And mm-hmm. that movie, the movie makes it clear about that. And something like Taxi Driver makes it clear as well, but like Taxi Driver was sort of misinterpreted at the time and still is misinterpreted as sort of like Travis Bickle, Bickle is the hero of the story, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And um, when I was younger, I thought that's the interpretation of the movie, that kind of thing. Like, this is the guy who took power into his own hands, that kind of thing was like, but he was like a really messed up dude, that kind of thing. You know, it's like, he wasn't, he wasn't speaking truth to power at all. He was, he was mentally insane. Um, but this movie definitely borrows a lot from Taxi Driver and A Clockwork Orange in that way. In A Clockwork Orange and just how to view the violence and then in, in Taxi Driver, just about a character uh, losing his mind, having already being already mentally unstable and just descending into madness um, to become sort of a cultural, uh, not a cultural, but sort of like an urban hero in a lot of people's eyes or in some ways. Um, yeah. So another thing I feel like this movie did really well um, is, you know, even though he's not the hero um, and he's, you know, he's the villain, he's, 
there's there's a lot of things they do to make you feel sympathetic towards him. Yeah. It's sort of like uh, you know, one of the best Marvel villains that we talked about was uh was Killmonger because right. like, you know, he was a terrible terrible person he was a villain but when he sort of gave you that rationale you're kind of like mm, you know the way he's going about this is is wrong but i can i can see what he's saying and with this like you were kind of like you know what he's doing is terribly wrong but you know when you give me this backstory about how he's brought up like you know it's it's kind of like impossible to see how he wouldn't turn out this way yeah it is and it's really good um for that reason the the movie taking its time to build empathy with this character Mm -hmm. so the the thing with like you know black panther or even something like last year's venom you know those movies they have to do so much at once you know there's the you have to be building up all these characters that you're going to build a franchise around and you have to um you know of course progress the plot and things like that but you also have to, you know, deal with the studio's idea of what a blockbuster should be. So that means a blockbuster shouldn't be, you know, uh, you know, too heavy on messages, that kind of thing, or like on on uh, political statements, because that's a dangerous line to cross because you might be eliminating 50% of your audience. But this movie, what was interesting is, is that there are no side plots whatsoever you just see the whole movie from Arthur's perspective. Mm-hmm. The only time it cuts away to a different perspective is uh, at the end when Thomas and Martha Wayne get murdered. And that, I mean, and then also when the, when they cut away to the TVs on the, on the, like the, the station, mm-hmm. where they show him murdering um, the, the, the TV host. Those are like the only moments in the film where you cut away from Joker witnessing everything. Mm-hmm. and you really get to be in his mindset for that reason and you get to like you get to spend time um to really uh get into the character's head and uh you know building sympathy for him that you know not a lot of films take the time to do yeah and so like one of the things that we do on this podcast is we talk a lot about like page design and yeah. one thing that i saw in this movie that i thought was was really cool is the stairs Yes. The early on in the movie, um, before he's taken on the full Joker persona, you know, he's struggling. He's going up the stairs slowly. Yeah. Um, and then later, you know, when he fully adopts the, the Joker persona, he's got the makeup on, you know, he's coming down the stairs. It's a lot easier. He's, he's enjoying himself. So I thought that that was that was a really cool way of uh, portraying that theme. And, you know, we, like I said, we talk about doing that in, in, in pages and in comics, but they did that here in this movie. Yeah. For a movie that was uh, trying hard to distance itself from comic books and trying to distance itself from like, you know, uh, any direct reference to a comic or anything like that, or a comic arc, this movie is, has one of the most strongest, like visual styles mm-hmm. I've seen all year and in any comic book film, those motifs. Yeah. Of like, you know, repetition, you know, making a pattern of him going up the stairs, showing his daily routine, showing the monotony and how it's driving him insane. And then in the end, when he's like descending into madness, that being a literal descent downstairs, yeah. brilliant moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was what hooked me on the film from the first get first trailer is that they showed that, 
as the that was sort of one of the selling points was the visual style and they had the stair scenes in the trailer and mm-hmm. i was just like oh that's a good trailer right there you know that kind of thing showing that and i'm like if they took the time to put that into the trailer i hope they took the time to edit that well into the film and they did yeah um but there's also a lot of this movie's not afraid to uh there's a, there's a fear in like a lot of comic book movies to not be too colorful you know not be too saturated with how things are like there's a especially in marvel films uh most recently of course like you know endgame and infinity war are drained of color mm-hmm. it's very mono it's very like desaturated they don't really bring out the vibrancy of the comic book characters um there's this sort of flatness to it all and uh it, it it doesn't like you know it's just sort of the marvel brand is sort of makes it that way um sure. but what's interesting about the joker is is that like you know normally if you're th- trying to make something dark and gritty like say the boys on amazon recently that show like had this awful like sepia tone f- like filter over it the whole time so that there were no color basically mm-hmm. it was all very drained um this movie went the distance to use color to show like to actually like were integrated into like a visual language of things. So that reality Joker, that Arthur's reality is colorless and monochromatic, but not in a filtered way, but like just that the world itself is colorless when it gets color is sort of when he's like enacting a fantasy or he's Mm -hmm. fantasizing and all of a sudden the colors get incredibly saturated, incredibly vibrant. It was really refreshing for me to see that in in a comic book movie where the creators aren't, afraid of color basically and especially in comic book films when everybody wants them to be taken seriously it seems like the first thing to go when you're interpreting those characters is the colors and uh, so it was just really great to see color being integrated into a film and it's still and it's showing that like you can have a colorful film and it can still be taken seriously yeah yeah so um what did you think about the sort of the reveal that the 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 neighbor was not uh with him at all of those points that was sort of like your uh you know your um your memento or your um you know your your sixth sense sort of reveal that uh uh that she wasn't that she wasn't there at all those points how did you think that was handled i liked how they played it off subtly you know, just visual stuff. I like it when, you know, in, in movies like The Sixth Sense and Inception and Prestige or uh, maybe not so much Fight Club. Fight Club has to be over your, like, you know, bashing you over the brains because that's the movie style, right? That kind of thing. But, like, the movie almost approaches that as an inevitability, you know? That at that point he sort of has realized that his mother has imagined his whole life, like a whole life for herself, you know, mm-hmm. um, or possibly imagined cause there's some questions there. Right. Um, that is sort of an inevitability that he just sort of re- accepts like, Oh yeah, that's right. It was never real. That kind of thing. Like he's not too broken up about it. It's sort of just an acceptance point for the character where he's just like, that's right. I'm insane. You know, and I love that about it. It wasn't like a, oh, wow moment. And the movie didn't try to make you like go like, oh, wow, what my mind, that kind of thing. It, it was like the movie was basically telling you the whole time, like, no, this guy's incapable of social interaction that ends successfully. 
he stalked this woman like a creep. You mm-hmm. know, like you didn't honestly think that he would have a like a steady relationship. Um, the movie didn't like try to pretend that it wasn't something that like it wasn't already telling you this is fake. You know that kind of thing. It's a uh, it was it was a good moment that it didn't make me feel like the audience the 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 film wasn't trying to be like oh you dumb dumb you didn't notice this twist so yeah I like that. <laughs> Yeah, it was sort of one of those things where it was like, ha, ah, this was a twist, but like, you know, everybody was like, uh, re- watching it, you were like, oh yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Like, yeah. he, wouldn't be a, he wouldn't be capable of, you know, being a caring, loving, um, you know, thoughtful, thoughtful person enough to be in a relationship. So when that happens, you go, of course, that, that, that didn't pan out that way. Exactly. Um, and that plays into the themes of the film. There is sort of an, like, you know, we all went into this movie knowing how it was going to end. If mm-hmm. this was the Joker, we know he's going to end up being the Joker. So we know he's not going to have a successful relationship. We know he's probably going to murder his mom, that kind of thing. You know, it's like, uh, there's an inevitability to this film that I really love. And again, not a lot of films try to like show that inevitability mm-hmm. in a storyline where it's like, you know, they, they try to fool you into thinking that it could change at any moment, but this movie just sort of accepts it, that it's like, no, this is inevitable. And uh, his descent into madness is is something that you're just going to enjoy watching. So, yeah, it's, it's an experience of a film. And that sort of leads into, we were going to discuss if there were like first, second, third act, mm-hmm. you know, in this film. And um, if there are, they're, they're, they're really well done. Mm-hmm. There definitely are. I mean, yeah, there is the first act where it's sort of, um, there are inciting incidents of just showing the character losing his mind, whether it's him, you know, not being respected in his job, losing his job, losing his mental stability and his uh, outside support for his mental illness with the social worker and the funding mm-hmm. being cut. And then of course the end of the second act is, him realizing, yeah, his mom is crazy and abusive and the relationship he never, he thought he had never was. So that's his lowest point. And then of course, third act is everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's again, to see a uh, superhero film or like, you know, a super villain movie uh, that's completely character driven and not world ending driven, you know, that kind of thing. Like, uh, there's no, uh, there's no plot, like there's no take over the world scenario or take over Gotham City's like, you know, plot whatsoever. And I mean, there is one, but it's not, he has nothing to do with that. And um, doesn't want anything to do with that. Yeah. And so there's certainly um, were some political uh, overtones to, to yeah. the movie. Um, and uh it would be hard to not draw a parallel to, to what's going on um, in America right now. Um, you know, Thomas Wayne almost represented the, 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 the one percenters, um, um, you know, uh, so that was an interesting take to have one of the Waynes be um, not necessarily uh, like evil, but not necessarily, you know, the, the, one of the 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 lights the you know the heroic figures so it was it was interesting to to do that yeah that's the yeah you know thomas wayne is always the benevolent rich man 
you know, and uh, but he's the Donald Trump of this movie, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's the he's the guy that has no sympathy for anyone that's not of his status. He doesn't see people who are less fortunate as him as people. He sees them as statistics, you know, or or as he calls them, he calls them clowns. Yeah, you know, and he wants to rule over the clowns, and uh, yeah. So, but w- what's great about this movie is is that like unlike something like last year's uh, Black Klansman, if you haven't seen that. It's it's a good movie about what it's documenting documenting the history of that film mm-hmm. of of that of that actual event, um, but where the movie falls apart is when it tries to draw parallels to the current administration. Okay, and it dates itself very poorly, um, because there are moments where they'll just hold on a statement, like very directly trying to draw parallels between the current administration and like the in the KKK. Mm-hmm. And it kind of bashes you over the head with it. Like, you know, like it's, uh, there are some lines in there where they're talking about like, oh, who would elect a racist to government and stuff like that. And they literally like look towards the camera, that kind of thing. And it's not played for laughs either. Mm-hmm. Like it's played as like trying to be a clever joke. Um, and it doesn't work. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, but this movie doesn't try to distract from what it's about. There is definitely the political statements. There's the, there's the great, like it's a great interpretation of the times, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's all subtext and it's all, or or a subplot, you know, this movie does not try to take away from what this movie's about. And it's about Arthur losing his mind, you know? And I think that was something that played to the strengths of the film and also made the message of the movie, the interpretation of the times, all that stronger when it's not trying to be propaganda or bash you over the head with something, you know, it lets you draw conclusions yourself, basically. Um, I really liked that, but I also liked how bold it was making Thomas Wayne, the, like, you know, the right wing 1%, you know, jerk. Um, There's a, the, this movie, and it'll be discussed more and more as to how it interprets things, but I think it's spot on as far as like, you know, what we as a society create with our actions, you know, um, you know, who we glorify and who we, you know, who we, uh, I guess, uh, create, who we make villains out mm-hmm. of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there'll be some great interpretations coming out of this film about that. And I, and I think again, unlike something again, like Killmonger, which uh, again, doesn't try to hide its, its political views with that character, but they, you know, they, they try to find the the happy balance between extremism and the truth and black Panther. Um, this film does not show any hope for society in the end. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's a very, uh, cynical view of, uh, of the current administration and the current state of the country. But at the same time, it points out again with using Arthur to slowly build a relationship between the audience and an unstable mental character. Mm-hmm. You don't really start to sympathize with the character to the point where you think he's right, but you start to realize this is a very good interpret not a good a good examination of a person you know of of a person that could be living in the world today so it makes you aware it's it's almost like a a cautionary tale this movie is a cautionary tale right Mm -hmm. you know just to be 
aware of toxic mindsets and to be aware of toxic people. And um, of course this ends in an extreme because this is a movie, this is a comic book film, but it is a good, uh, it is a good statement. I think I, I really liked it. Yeah. So uh, earlier you said how this movie was done mostly in the perspective of Arthur. Um, let's talk a little bit about Joaquin Phoenix's uh, performance here. Um, it's no shock that, uh, you know, he's a bit of a, I think if, if, I'm, if I'm remembering this correctly, he's a bit of a method actor. So he, uh, you know, he engrosses himself in the role, but he really, um, he really, uh, uh, from the beginning, um, you know, with the, with the fight, when, when he's on the bus, he's trying to entertain the kid. He starts laughing. Um, he hands the card. Um, that was a cool way of like uh, show don't tell, like yeah. to, to explain that, that nervous laughter with, with the card, as opposed to him sitting down with his doctor going, as you know, Arthur, when you get nervous, you, you start laughing. So that, that was a cool uh, process there. But what did you think about his performance? Oh, it was awesome. And again, I have to give it to the, you know, everybody's saying that like he's uh, he was driving himself crazy to get an Oscar nomination and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It is it is a movie that's trying to go for the award season, mm-hmm. but like again, it's a movie that put too much care into the story to be too pretentious, and for Joaquin Phoenix to be too pretentious. His his performance is so nuanced, and um, I know just from the backgrounds, he did a lot of research into the condition of the the chronic laughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the extra length to make sure that, like, to point out, again, being close to this character, it doesn't, like, you know, again, uh, villainify people with that condition, which is Mm -hmm. really great as well. Um, And he doesn't villainify people with that condition either, you know. Yeah. That's one of his more sympathetic parts that we don't really associate him losing control with the laughter as something that's terrifying in the film. That's the moment where we feel the most heartbroken for him. Mm-hmm. is his laughter which i think is again just like a movie that plays with your emotions so well that like that's the emotion we get out of it i mean that was how it was for me that like as soon as he started losing control of his laughter i wasn't afraid of him i was scared for him mm-hmm. you know that people weren't going to take him seriously that people weren't gonna appreciate him um that was a brilliant moment. And I think it was a brilliant character choice for him to do that. But then also for him, his, uh, his fake laughter as well as sort of a, a similar thing, you know, that it's like, uh, it's so forced and fake that it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you, that's some, that's a character choice that just shows who he is, that he has no grasp of what comedy is that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Or like when, when is the appropriate time to laugh? So like when he's watching the comedian in the, in the bar, he laughs, ne- he never laughs at the punchline. He's always laughing at the setup. Yeah. And um, while he's writing his own jokes. So yeah, it's a brilliant choice to have the, the illness be something that is an illness. It's not something that adds to his villain thing. And then of course his like, his fakeness adds to just showing how adept he is. Sorry. As he's at, um, yeah not adept, uh, but just like, you know, unable to empathize in social situations. Yeah. And it's something that if they, they go forward with, you know, the, the Joker, you know, fighting, you know, 
doing these crazy schemes, he's always, you know, laughing maniacally. So like you can, you can, this sort of almost like, uh, you know, as an origin story, this is, this is explaining that, you know, if they, if they do more movies and I think with the success of this or if they can, they can, they're going to do more. That's sort of like, now, you know, why like in later movies when he's, you know, doing something spectacularly evil and he's, he's laughing, um, we we have a little bit of an explanation as to, to to the origin of the laugh as well. Yeah, the the origin of the laugh, but it also is sort of could be going forward. It could be his kryptonite of sorts. You mm-hmm. know, uh, this movie's all about him being noticed, or you know that kind of thing, and him just sort of not being laughed at. Yeah. Right. You know he, and that's sort of his uh, his weakness is that people start laughing at him or you know, ridiculing him when he loses control. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, a uh, yeah. Walking Phoenix is, it's like, again, it, there is a lot to be said about like monologues and characters and he doesn't really get the chance to monologue mm-hmm. until the end of the film, uh, which I like as well. Again, with a lot of like, you know, Oscar bait performances, there are monologues dispersed throughout films. Mm-hmm. Like you said, there's a lot of show don't tell him this and especially in his performance. Um, and that in the end, we kind of have been waiting for him to just sort of talk that kind of thing mm-hmm. and to say out loud what's been going through his mind this whole time. And he gets that chance at the end to just basically put it out there. And that's a beautiful moment where he basically says the reason for why he's lost his mind. Yeah. So this movie was very much um, not in the uh the dcu that we know but sort of towards the end we got a lot of nods to things that happened in dc lore right um, you know uh anybody who who knows batman when they saw that movie marquee they were like oh no it, this is yes. <laughs> this is this is going to come and of course we got the we got the pearls cascading off of martha wayne um so that that was really cool that they you know they 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 brought that in. I have to assume that the that was Joe Chill who who was in Crime Alley. Um, so that was that was really nice that uh, we got a lot of nods to to Batman lore there at the end to sort of um, tie tie everything up towards the end. So I I really enjoyed that. I also like again how something again this movie doesn't try to be completely. You know, like, and, and Todd Phillips has said he wasn't trying to be loyal to the comics, but like he unintentionally was mm-hmm. with something like that. In the comics, what we want more than anything with Batman and Joker is for them to be like intrinsically linked in everything, you mm-hmm. know? Now, something that the Burton film did really interestingly, you know, that like uh, Jack Napier in that film killed Bruce Wayne's parents and then Batman punches jack napier and he falls into the bat and becomes the joker yeah so it's this like cyclical like they both caused each other to become the other person and this movie does the exact same thing in some ways i mean bruce wayne didn't directly make joker the way he is but like thomas wayne has some way of like you know bruce wayne is linked to how joker became the joker and thus how batman becomes batman and ending it with the line right after with him laughing right after the scene that Thomas and Martha Wayne get murdered. And then his therapist asks like, what are you laughing at? And he's like, 
oh, you won't like you won't get it. That kind of thing. Like that's just a great way of ending. Like you know that maybe in his wisdom he knows something's going to snowball off of this. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. That's something like something big is going to happen afterwards. And um, he sets up sort of the rivalry out with that line. At least that's how I how I interpreted it. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. So um, I think uh, as we talked about the end, uh, maybe it's time to uh, to 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 recap or and uh, maybe give it some give it some ratings. So I'll let you I'll get, let you rate it first. Uh, uh, we haven't really done ratings before, but uh, let's do a scale of uh, one to five. Five being five being the best. Uh, wh- what would you rate it? I would I would rate it five. The one issue I'll have with the film are the cosplayers. That's the thing that's going to ruin it for me um, <laughs> at, at conventions. It's, uh, again, like what ruined Deadpool, what ruined uh, Negan and Walking Dead, what ruined Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker, what ru- ruined Harley Quinn is just these awful cosplayers. And if you're listening to this and, and are planning on being the Joker for you know, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker for a convention, I'm just going to ask, please don't dance down the stairs while I'm trying to get to Heart of Sally. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be amused. I'm, I'm going to push you down the stairs and uh, cause I need and, my, I need my yeah. comic signed. Yeah. And be, pre- and be prepared to uh, get extra security uh, as you, as you walk in. Yes, exactly. Yeah. This is not someone to imitate people. I'm just going to say, don't dress up like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Yeah, just please don't. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Writing from, I would give it, I I said I gave it five. five Yeah, so uh, I just, uh, I just have a hard time giving anything a a perfect score, so I'll give it a four and a half. Okay. Um, I know that, like, uh, it wanted to not um, touch on any of, like, the, the larger aspects of the DCU, um, but what it would have been cool is just maybe like a, uh, like a Superman reference or like a, like a shadow flying across the sky or something like that. Um, but, uh, no, it was definitely a good movie. Uh, so I'll give it a four and a half. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a movie I'm really hoping that doesn't get a sequel and just sort of stands on its own as it goes forward. Um, I, I'm, I'm still riding the high of loving it. I'm sure once the dust settles and the hype sort of dies down, I'll be able to form a more intelligent thought about the film and maybe voice criticisms better. Uh, but I, I, right now, I really have nothing bad to say about it. So I, that just made me think of a question before we, before we go through the, the, the calls to action. If there is more of this movie or the Joker character shows up again in a later movie. Do you think that it will be Joaquin Phoenix or do you think it'll be uh, Jared Leto? I hope it's Jared Leto. I I, I really think, um, and I don't like Jared Leto, but at the same, but I really want it to be less is more with this scenario. And Mm -hmm. by that, I mean less Joaquin Phoenix doing the role means less, of a chance of him ruining what came before in further developments. You know, I really think, and I think the thing is about Jared Leto is, is that he started at such a low, low point. And again, I was talking about how scary Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger were and Mm -hmm. how like Jared Leto is not terrifying at all. He's not funny. He's just that annoying kid that you really want to get expelled. 
and never see again. So I'm hoping like the thing with Jared Leto is that I know he can be a good actor. I just really want him to like rise above that low point. Like I want, I want him to only get better that kind of thing because we've already seen him at like, what I hope is the worst, you know? So Joaquin Phoenix is at that high point of his performance. And like, I don't, I just think any too much of it would be a bad thing. Like I really want less of it because it's, 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 it's so rare to have something so good, you know, it's like how comic book collecting is right. You know, you have that number one of Batman year one Mm -hmm. and the more you take it out and the more you look at it, the more you devalue it. And like you could buy a trade and the colors may not be as good and the printing may not be as good of that story, but at least you're not ruining that issue one, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, That's not the best analogy, but like, I really, I really want less because it's so good. Like I just want it to be its own thing. Let it, you know, let it breathe. And then let Jared Leto try to prove himself as a better performer in the DCEU. What about this for sort of an analogy? It's uh, Batman Year One and Superman Year One. Where uh, Superman yes, Year yes. One is is, or, is is bad and can hopefully only only get better. Where where Batman Year One is uh, perfection and you can't uh, you you know bringing trying to bring it back. You're just gonna you're just gonna tarnish. Frank it, so. Miller is just the perfect analogy <laughs> there, right? That kind of thing. Like it was, uh, you know, we 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 stick with Frank Miller because we hope that he can get back to the dark Knight returns level. Good again, that kind of thing. And maybe that's sort of like, uh, that's not, again, not the best analogy of Jared Leto, but like, yeah, Jared Leto is the, uh, uh, yeah, is the, is the Superman year one. Yeah. Kind of thing. You know, we're just hoping it gets better. Yeah. I think part of, part of it for me for with, with Frank Miller is uh, I'm I, there's, there's a hope that it's that it's going to get uh it's going to get back to that level but i'm also on for the for the train wreck i, I just yeah wanna, i just want to see what's going to happen next so. which i might be on the which i might be for jared leto as well um <laughs> yeah uh but no really just just let joaquin phoenix do this one film let him retire from superhero films if you do one spectacular superhero film and you never do another one again like that's a great it's a great career in superhero films yeah, it's um, sort of your uh it's sort of your your Jake Gyllenhaal uh yeah. model where Jake Gyllenhaal is a uh you know a, a serious uh uh you know deep actor came in did his did his one thing and then and then and then got out so maybe it's a yeah. similar thing here. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah, I I would really hate for Hollywood to again it's a Hollywood film but I would hate for Hollywood to Hollywood it again. That kind of thing, you know, the the Joker, that kind of thing. I want it to just be Joker. And yeah, end it right there. Cool. All right. So I think that was a that was a really good uh, recap. Uh, yeah. If if anybody enjoyed this and if they could go out and give us a a rating or review wherever they get this podcast, we'd really appreciate it. Um, also, um, I'd like to let everybody know that I have a Kickstarter going on for my comic called the the Reset. Um, so just go on to uh, Kickstarter and search for the reset. And also I will put a link for the reset Kickstarter in the, the show notes. Um, if you want to give us a follow on social media, we are on Twitter at construct We are on Instagram at constructing comics pod. 
We're on Facebook at Facebook forward slash Constructing Comics. We also have a YouTube channel under the same name of Constructing Comics where we do some of the more uh, visually heavy shows. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you.